Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. This week on the show, we talked about Esperanto. And one of the things that I mentioned in the episode that I didn't go into great detail on is that over and over while I was working on this episode, I kept finding people being like, yeah, Esperanto is really neat, but English has really become the shared second language. Of, and I was like, nah, it's not really, though. A whole lot of people don't speak English. And part of the reason that Zamenhof wanted to create a language from scratch was he didn't, he didn't want this international language to be, like, associated with a major colonial power. Uh, that kind of went against the whole thing he was trying to accomplish. I mean, I, I I recognize that, you know, thankfully when you travel to other places, and I say this thankfully for my own lazy self, like often in foreign countries they are fluent in English. But really, that's not because English is necessarily universal. They're trying to accommodate things like tourist trade. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and again, it's associated with, you know, a whole lot of problems. It's It made me laugh, as it did in the episode, that, you know, this is the same thing France was doing years and years yeah. and years ago, going, no, French is the <laughs> language. Of course, this Everyone is the universal French. language. We should just use that. And it's, yeah. again, like, well, is that because you have a bunch of colonies or because you honestly think everybody could just pick up French? Um, right. Which is sort of, I mean, you know I love French. I don't think that's any secret. Right. Um, but, like, I was reading a funny thread on Twitter. I don't even remember who posted it where they were like, I've studied French and I still, when I meet a French speaker, I don't know what the heck they're saying. Um, yeah. Which is one of the tricks with any language. French can be very tricky that way, but it just made me laugh especially hard having just come off of reading that over the the weekend within the last couple of days too. Everyone right. speaks French. <laughs> we can just use that. Yeah, I um, I kept thinking about how being the son of a language teacher and being immersed in the society where the people around him were speaking so many different languages uh, really set Zamenhof up to become really multilingual and how uh, how different that is from my own upbringing because I grew up speaking English and all my neighbors spoke English and my school system did not teach any other language until middle school I think middle school, I got a tiny bit in third and fourth grade because I was in the gifted program and I got a teeny, teeny bit of Spanish, which was only for gifted students. This makes no sense. It's not a great way uh, to to raise people with any kind of familiarity with languages. And then when I did switch to taking French, I went through a series every year. I had a different French teacher and only one of those French teachers would I say was actually good at teaching French. And so after having, uh, I think, three years of high school French, six hours of college French, like my French is still terrible. It was terrible when I finished that. Um, I took a break from studying French because I had I had taken the six hours that I needed to take to graduate. And then I had this idea that I was going to go to graduate school, and I learned that I was going to need to take more French for graduate school. And I attempted to take six more hours of French uh, in a semester that I also really overloaded myself with courses and immediately was absolutely in over my head and was like, I can't, I can't do all this. Um, so anyway, that's, 
that's why like the one other language I've really tried to study, I am still very bad at. Um, I had a marginal level of fluency in French when I was little, but it ran away. It went other places. Yeah. I don't know where that lives now. Hopefully someone inherited it. Um <laughs> Did you also tell me that uh, since you had learned, you had learned from your grandmother, right? That you had learned kind of like a country French? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't know until I had like a really good French teacher who was like, your vocab is pretty good and your pronunciation is not bad, but the things you say sound really like you are a hick. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This reminds me of how my my spouse has studied a lot of Japanese. He's he lived in Japan for a while when he was in, I can't remember if it was college or graduate school, I think graduate school. Um, and so he has been a person that I have gotten help with on Japanese pronunciation sometimes. And I remember getting a note from somebody that said we had pronounced something that sounded like we were from the country. And then he was like, oh yeah, actually where I was, <laughs> <laughs> we had to take trains to get into the, like a major city. And I was like, oh, okay, Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there is a, a little bit, I hope it's changing, but certainly when we were in school, I feel like in most schools in the U.S., there was a bit of failing in terms of mm-hmm. really trying to give kids the opportunity to learn a lot of languages when they're young. And I know yeah. from friends now that have elementary age children, there is a lot more language learning than I certainly ever had at that age. So I'm hopeful um, but yeah, I feel like every time I learn a new language, there's, or any like tiny bit of a new language, mm-hmm. I haven't really learned any new languages. Um, there's like this huge initial hurdle to get over of just like, okay, what? My mouth doesn't do those. Um, right. I gotta, f- wait, what? Um, <laughs> uh, and it's tricky. And the funny thing is, I'm suddenly remembering a a discussion that I had with a friend of mine whose parents were German and were learning English for the first time. And he was like, Mm -hmm. you have no idea how hard English is compared to other languages. Like the train wreck. (laughs) Complete. He's and it was stuff that I mean, this was years and years ago, like 20, 25 years ago that we had this conversation. But he was like, you know, think about like even something as simple as what is the plural for mouse? It's mice. Okay, well, what is the plural for house? People learning for the first time might very well guess heis because none yeah. of these rules are consistent or make sense. And I was like, oh, that is true. Like, when you grow up speaking it, you don't think about it. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of the things that little kids say when they're learning English that sound hilarious to people is, like, because they've intuited that pattern and applied it to other words that they haven't learned the irregularity for yet, uh, which I think is pretty cool and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should start doing the show in Esperanto. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been trying to keep up with uh, with a couple of Duolingo courses, and I did have a good time plinking away at a little bit of Esperanto, um, but I, I, I don't know if it's feasible for me to keep up with it. My brain feels full. Yeah. I know that feeling. Full brains. Yeah. So this week we talked about Bodium Castle. Uh Uh-huh. This is a castle I have not been to, but it's on my list. (laughs) Your list is getting very big. My list is so big, and I'm so ready to start traveling again. Uh, So look out, Bodium Castle. Uh, I, I wanted to do this one in part because it is kind of a fun 
little bit more lighthearted thing, but also because it contextualizes a lot of things, right? When you realize that Edward Dallingridge was connected to the Hundred Years' War, that mm-hmm. he was also one of the people who put down the peasants' revolts. Right. Um, th- which isn't often talked about <laughs> when, uh, when you discuss things like, hey, this person built a castle. And it's like, yes, but why? I love that uh, a lot of castle historians and medieval historians have really kind of turned to this one as something to kind of pick apart and look at the cause and effect of, like, why would someone want this to be built? Why mm-hmm. Why exactly? And put that in the context of history. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to um, the National Trust website on Bodium Castle. We mentioned at the end of the episode that Right now, the interiors are not open to visitors because of COVID, but one of the cool things they've done is uh, they have put some of the material that you would normally see inside the castle online. So, like, oh, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a video that you would normally see about the history of the castle, and they're like, no one can see this right now, so we're just making it available publicly, which is just a, a really cool, nice gesture and a way for people to learn. I imagine this is one of those places that school children sometimes have to go to and report on, and that's mm-hmm. now available to them. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought that was marvelously cool. I feel like uh, earlier on in the pandemic... Versailles did something similar mm-hmm. where there was like a, a virtual tour of Versailles, um, which was really cool. Cause you and I, you and I, we went to Versailles on our, our trip to France yes. back uh in what was that 2019? It's all blurred together. Um, and it it's so really shoulder to shoulder packed in there. Yeah, um, that it's it's really hard to see things. So having this virtual tour online, even having been there, meant seeing things I had not noticed before. Yeah, you don't get a lot of time to like linger and hang. It's no. <laughs> definitely like move through the Hall of Mirrors. There are a lot of people behind you, and they all need to see it too. Um, so it is. I I'm very happy that a lot of of historically and culturally significant sites that have had to close have done similar programs where they're yeah. they're making their content available. Uh, it's a huge help, and like I said, I'm sure there are a lot of students who are benefiting from that. So uh, it's a big thing. I I will tell you this, and this may sound strange. Um, are you one of those people? Because I know you have a fondness for medieval history at a level that mm-hmm. is beyond mine. Mm-hmm. Are you a castle person? I know that sounds weird. Mm, uh, not as not not as much. I uh, I've been playing a lot of a game called Valheim lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's a weird a weird gender dichotomy in the people that I play Valheim with. Whereas I have made these little wooden uh, homey kind of structures, and the men are all building these gigantic stone castles <laughs> <laughs> with turrets and moats and just all kinds of gigantic things. And I've been like, but I like this little hut where I have all of my crafting tables. <laughs> Um, what I am incredibly into, though, is all the witch marks. I love the witch marks. I love the witch bottles. I love the walling shoes up in the wall to try to trap oh, evil yeah. spirits. I am way into all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, I found that information on that study. And again, it, it's they talk about it on the National Trust site. Um, 
I I came into that information kind of late in the game and I was like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> There's a whole other thing going on at Podium Castle, which makes perfect sense because, of course, I bet a lot of castles have these same things, but they don't always have, you know, the... Um, an actual study done of them to yeah. really identify. And it's one of those things, again, we say witch marks and it sounds really like, um, and we even mentioned that there's like a compass sometimes in a pentagram, just mm-hmm. as a reminder in case anybody doesn't remember medieval era pentagrams sometimes used in Christianity, not mm-hmm. necessarily having anything to do with, you know, devilishness or, uh, <laughs> or witchcraft in that sense, um, but really it, part of a prayer. So I, I also love that. I love the use of symbols as prayers as well. Mm-hmm. Like just the value we place on the visual medium is always going to be fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So now I want to put witch marks all over my house. Thank you so much for spending time with us this week, and we hope as you head into the weekend that it is as enjoyable as possible and that if you are obliged to do things like work, that you uh, have as easy a time as possible and everyone is super nice to you. And we will see you back here tomorrow for Classics and next week with new stuff. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.